Good morning. Oh, for. All right. Good morning, my friend. Sorry about that. So, for some reason, OBS decided to change what it was using for its audio input, and nothing was going through for the first, like, 20, 30 seconds. Like, that's just. Oh, my God. Sorry about that. I. It does that sometimes. I don't know why. Um, good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Space Game Junkie Podcast. I, as always, am your co-host, Brian, and joining me for these morning shows is your co-host, Spaz. As always, powered by caffeine, and not I, enough of it. I'm really tempted to contact Monster Energy, I swear to you, and say, hey, could you sponsor <laughs> us? Because I swear, they fuel these shows. Um Folks, before we get started with our guest, uh, we haven't done a show in a little bit, and I just wanted to apologize for that. There was a bit of burnout on my part, I must admit, and also uh, some of our co- uh, like there are a couple times where we weren't feeling well, and uh, Hunter's still out for his move. So, like for a couple weeks, it just didn't come together. We couldn't think of a really fun, like it just didn't feel like we weren't feeling it, you know? So if you're not feeling it, why do it? Why half-ass it? You know what I mean? That's no fun for everyone. Morning Shogun, morning Thorsten. And, uh, so we decided to, uh, just not have shows for a couple weeks. And I apologize for that. Um, but, uh, now we're back. We have a guest this weekend next. <gasps> My God. Right. Uh, joining us. Wait, where, where are you, uh, calling from? Uh, you're in England. Where, where? Are yeah, I'm in the UK. Yeah. We're in the UK. I'm in Kent. Just, uh, just, uh, a few score miles out of London. I actually, I watch so much British television. I know where Kent is. I'm not even <laughs> kidding you. Uh, <laughs> it's interesting though. So much British television uses fake locations and then so much British television uses real locations that sometimes I get confused. Uh, I will admit. Um, <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> guess so. so. Oh, that's a great comment, Shogun. A British studio making a game about angry royals in space. <laughs> <laughs> angry drunk royals, if you watch my videos. Jesus. Uh, we're welcoming back Glenn Pauly um, uh, to talk about Star Dynasties. We had uh, Glenn on a couple of years ago. And, uh, yeah, now, thanks for having me. I'm really, really glad to be back. Oh, it's our pleasure. Now that you're on Steam and you have a... You, I don't think you even you had a publisher last time. Uh, Not at all. No one you. knew about me. I think you were the first person to reach out. Yeah, uh, I have to say I'm very, we're, we're not, not just me, we're very lucky to have such a community that they find stuff. Like, I don't know how they do it, but they will find stuff in the, in the tiniest corner of itch or on IndieDB, like, they will find stuff. And, like, I don't remember whether I found this or someone else found this back a few couple of years ago, but uh, character-driven, that's what I call them, at least, character-driven strategy games like these, yeah. uh, there aren't a ton of them, and there aren't a ton of space ones, especially. Uh, so, we and we love these kind of games. We love ca- these character-driven strategy games so uh of course when we first found out about your game we all got super excited oh yes um and and now that we've actually gotten to play a more recent version of it especially now that you have, you have a publisher uh iceberg if i'm remembering uh correctly is that right yeah that's correct yeah, it's congr- iceberg interactive congratulations they are uh uh i have a i have a i have a soft spot in my heart for iceberg because they they give opportunity to all to indie space game developers like you, a lot of indie space games 
in Iceberg's uh, catalog. Yeah, they've been excellent to work yeah, with. Yeah, they're, they are great. Uh, so I got nothing but love for Iceberg. Uh, and they're not paying me to say that, and I'm not saying that because <laughs> they give me free copies of games. I really do love that Iceberg supports developers like yourself. So, um, um, yeah. So, uh, so that, that's awesome that you're, you're now in their, uh, stable. Congratulations on that. Um, and now you finally hit steam early access as of about a month ago. Think, yeah, exactly. Right? Mid March. It's been an absolute whirlwind of a month. <laughs> I bet. Oh my God. How- <laughs> I, I, I guess uh, I guess the first question how is is how is that going? Because we we are fascinated with Steam Early Access. We both love it and hate it. And uh, when it's done well, we find it's an amazing experience for a developer. But doing it well is is a real is a real walking on a knife's edge, you know. <laughs> so far, so far, I think it's really working for Star Dynasties. I mean, it was a tiny bit rocky at the beginning. And I think that's partly because I think a few people looked at the game and maybe got a little bit wrong impression of the game, thought we were more similar to Stellaris than we actually are. Um, So that was a little bit of a rocky start to navigate those expectations. But... It, other than that, it's been a month of user feedback on every aspect of the game that's been really valuable. And yeah. um, it's not just about getting that user feedback, but on a personal level, I find that I find that a really stimulating dynamic, that kind of constant interface with people that are playing your game. Because obviously they keep you on your toes, you know, you can't, uh, you can't hide and you can't run. And it's, uh, I find that very motivating. <laughs> Uh, side note, I'm really sick of everyone comparing games to Stellaris. Like, like <laughs> stop it, people. Stellaris is not the best. It never has been the best. It never will be the best. It's not the, it's not the pinnacle of the genre and it never will be. So, so open your, open your minds and open your eyes. They all say it does a few <laughs> things well, but that said, yeah, they, they've changed They've changed how the game is multiple times already. Yep. And we're yep. not really sure exactly where they're going with it. But to be fair, it's getting better. Is it? But at the same time, I don't think it is the gold standard by which all other games no. should be. No, 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 yeah. no, 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 no. Uh, I mean, it looks nice and it has a great character, like a race builder. It's got a great race builder. Uh, but as a game... <laughs> well, I haven't played the latest iteration of because I know they've changed it multiple times, and I think the last time I played it uh, extensively was probably like in 2018. So I, I honestly don't really know what it's like to play today. But I did enjoy it. I mean, uh, I, I thought I thought it was a good game. But my so my only real complaint in that department is that we're being compared to it, and it. We're being compared to it a little bit because, and it, this was on, on, in my blind spot, so I kind of, it, it, it is, it is uh, um, partly my fault because there are, you know, if you, a few screenshots of, of Star Dynasties do look a little bit like Stellaris. We, yeah, we it, chose a teal yeah. uh, color for the UI and mm, um, yeah. the uh, like certain map views of Stellaris can look a little bit similar. I mean, if you, if you read anything about the game, 
it, it should tell you it's a right. very different gameplay experience because we're very focused on the characters and on the stories about the feudal politics and like the drama that happens to these characters. So it's a very different game. But it, that visual similarity can't help but create some expectations that we are struggling a little bit with. That, that is not unfair. I mean, yeah, if you just look at a screenshot, you might be like, oh, it's Stellaris. Like, like I play this thing on my VR headset called Supernatural. It's a fitness program. Mm-hmm. And people are like, oh, it's just Beat Saber. Like, no, <laughs> it's not just, okay. Anyway, <laughs> so yeah, screen, it, it's tough because you got to have screenshots to help sell your thing. But at the same time, <laughs> screenshots can only do so much. And sometimes they can, like you, like you're saying, give kind of a wrong impression. Uh, and there's and- this interesting, there's this interesting uh, game design school of thought, which I, maybe I should have respected a little bit more, which says that like every genre has its visual uh, shorthand and codes. So when you look at a screenshot, you don't just you don't you don't analyze it. You kind of immediately peg it into a certain gameplay styles. And sometimes games will go out of their way to choose an art style or a visual style specifically because they want to create a certain association with a genre in your mind when you look at a screen a oh, screenshot. Wow. Oh and wow. I guess I should have I should have paid attention to that school of thought a little bit more. Well, I've I I it's funny, I work in internet marketing and I've never heard of this until today, but that makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense. I think about it in, in terms of UI, Brian. Yeah. In terms of UI, if you yeah. have if you have a UI that is equally intuitive to something that's gone gone before, it's iterative, but it looks very much the same as something that comes be- yeah. that has come before. Then that is much more intuitive to the player coming into it because mm-hmm. they've already played something like that before. There's that's less. True. There's it's easier onboarding for them. That's true. I yes, do have absolutely. to. I do have to say one of my favorite things about your game is the UI. I love it. So much because you use, you use buttons that not everyone uses. Like you use the middle mouse button. Oh my (laughs) God. You use the middle mouse button. That blows me away. Like so few strategy games use the middle mouse button. I mean, sure. They use the scroll wheel to, um, you know, to do the map, but like you actually use the middle mouse button. Oh my God. (laughs) The biggest, one of the biggest uh, challenges that we had with the game and that I had with the game is that it, there's a lot of information to digest. Like you're, you're constantly being bombarded with these events about what happened to a particular character or what happened in a particular location. And there's a lot of data to digest. So a lot of the design on the UI has been kind of how to let the player get to that data as quickly as possible. So having some kind of button that allows you to instantly move the map to whatever you've clicked was just an intuitive thing to add. It's so intuitive. It makes so much sense and it works. It's great. Yeah. I was like, as I'm playing this, I'm like marveling at, cause I'm kind of a UI nut. I love, <laughs> I love, I, I love a good UI. And if, if a game has a really good UI, it will sear itself in my memory because like I've played games where the UI is just horrendous. It's like this is like your and I'm I'm thinking this is your game's primary way to 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 talk to the player and to have the player interact with him. How did you mess this up so badly? Um, 
But you I mean, got... UIs are UIs are very hard. Oh, I UIs know. Oh, I know. I I've. That's what I'm saying. I'm getting to that point. I have nothing but mad respect for anyone who makes a comp, let alone a competent UI, uh, let alone a amazing. Your UI is. <laughs> it really is one of the things that. That real, I mean, your game has a lot of great things. Let me just let me just throw that out there. It has a lot of great things, folks. But I'm a U again. I'm a UI nut, and I loved the UI in your game so much. I mean, everything was clean. It was clear. You have tooltips everywhere, which I I love tooltips so much. I I I mean, they take a lot of work. I know they take a lot of work to write them and implement them and everything. They take a ton of work, but. Any game that has tooltips over just about anything just just gets my undying love, and so you get like that's you have a ton of tooltips, lots of map modes, just and yet the the wonderful thing about it is there's so much to it, but it still isn't in your way. Like it's it's amazing that you made it so fluid, you know, because like with so much information, like you said, uh, there you you could have stumbled into a, a UI that was cumbersome and took up much more of the screen that it does and, and whatnot. But like, it, I think it's, it's, as Spaz said, it's, it's partly like you're, you're not seeing the iteration that went into it. Like two years right, ago, when, right. when, when we had the same conversation, you struggled with the UI then you, you, uh, you know, and so you can see there's that, that evolutionary process where, because I've been working on the game for a long time, I've had plenty of time to see people um, basically really struggle with earlier iterations. And I have to give a shout out to Martin Nerukar, who, because um, UI isn't, isn't actually my strong suit, and he helped me out a lot to make it a, a, a slicker uh, experience. Well, yeah, I I honestly don't remember. I I I'm I don't remember playing the last iteration. To be perfectly honest, maybe maybe the UI was part of that. But uh, I I gotta say, just just dealing with the characters, like just the right click to be able to click a character and have the actions pop up right there. Just I love that so much because you have so many characters to deal with, and you could do so many different things with all of them. With, with with each individual one of them, you know? It's- that's where that's where kind of the early access and the use for feedback process really comes into its own. Like that right click action thing, I didn't have that idea. A, oh. a play a playtester had that idea in one of the um wow. uh, playtesting sessions we did last year. So, you know, it's like I said at the beginning, I have found that whenever we've done that kind of user feedback process. The, you know, playtesters and players have come up with with some really good ideas. Yeah, I, and I, a good UI will set up the stage for a good UX. Yes. So. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Like I work with websites all day, and UI and UX is such a big thing for me. Like, and even the smallest thing. I don't know about you guys. If you guys were, this is a side note. I work with WordPress sites all day. <laughs> and one of the things about WordPress sites is if you're logged in, they give you a little bar at the top, you know, so you could like do things yeah. like edit the page and everything. And I use that all the time to edit specific pages. Like first I'll log in and then I'll go to that specific page and then I'll hit the edit page. It's so much easier than trying to search through WordPress's stupid ass search thing. And um, 
There are some clients we have where that is turned off. That bar at the top. I don't know why, but in their theme, it's turned off. And I'm like, what the F are you doing? Why? <laughs> why are you doing that? So it, it ruined both the UI and the UX for me. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's so important. And and and, and that's amazing that a playtester came up with that idea. What are some other... Uh, uh, just just a just an offshoot question. What is what are some other great ideas playtesters have come up with out of curiosity? Ooh, that's a. Um, I think. Well, a lot of the UI actually has been ha, has been playtester driven because most of my focus has always been on the world building and the storytelling and the events driven mechanic. And what happens to you is that when you play your game uh, a lot, because you're developing it, you kind of get used to the really clunky bits of it. And until (laughs) someone comes and takes a look at it and goes, my God, how am I supposed to figure that out? (laughs) Then you go, okay, that makes sense. I'm going to need to deal (laughs) something about that. So um, this is kind of what I meant uh, at the beginning where Obviously, when a, when a player encounters your game, especially when they encounter your game for the first time, they see things that are actually quite obvious, but you can't see them anymore at all. So, um, uh, yeah, the right-click action w- was a clear one. But even little suggestions about uh, the way combat works, the way economics work, the way politics works, players have come up with suggestions in, in, in every area. Like a very good one that... Um, um, so, if you've played... If you've played the game for any length of time, you'll know that one of the the issues uh, you, you, that will face you is that your vassals are quite unruly. You don't yeah. have a lot of control over them because this is a feudal kind of culture where uh, your your own vassals are fairly independent. So they can start fighting between themselves, and you don't have a lot of tools to manage that. And um, and this is the problem even I've struggled with. What tool can I give the player for, for, for them to try to manage that? And just a few weeks ago, a player suggested that maybe the game could have some kind of uh, action where you set up a negotiation between two of your vassals to try to create a rapprochement or something of the sort. Now, that was a great idea. Never had that. Ooh. And... Uh, I, I'm go. I'm really trying to look at it to see if there's some way I can work something like that in, because that would deal with would that would be a really nice tool to give to the player. So what I found, what I found is that every every player that comes into the game, they immediately hit a few things and they go, oh, that could be like that, that could be like that, and. Uh, thankfully, a lot of players then come into the Discord or go on Steam and 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 give me those ideas, and. Um, uh, the problem I have, if anything, is 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 the opposite, which is I've got so many <laughs> and so little time to put all of that in. But it's a good problem to have. Now that that is really great to hear. It sounds like you're getting a lot of really good, solid feedback from players, which we have found is one of the most valuable parts of of any early access period is um, is the feedback. And it sounds like you're taking it really well. And it sounds like you're getting a lot of it, which is great. Um, Thorsten here in the chat, I don't know if you saw, but he's been playing for like at least 70 hours, which is, wow, that's amazing. And Good. he says, 10 worlds away from winning the game and his, va- and his vassals started to re- rebel. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah, it, you have to watch your uh, political standing because you can be close to the game. The game um, part of one of the core mechanics of the game is that you have a political standing, a reputation, and it it almost doesn't matter how um, powerful you are if you wreck your reputation everyone will abandon you. So it's like an, another dynamic you need to take into account. Because it focuses so much on the politics, um, your, your standing is so important. So yeah, that can definitely happen. And it, it, it does tend to happen, especially before you... Because um, a lot of players come into the game and they think of it a little bit like a, like a, like a, like a more standard paint-the-map simulator, I suppose, where once you conquer a system, it's basically yours. But that that that's not the case. If you act dastardly, then no one will stay loyal to you for very long. Yeah, I mean, when, whenever I play this game, um, or or any game like this, but especially games like this, when I play, I um, I don't know if you ever heard of the comedian John Mulaney, but he has a bit where he just wants everyone to like him so much, all the time. He, he'll walk around wanting everyone to like him so much. His wife says he's trying to run for mayor of nothing. And uh, that's how I feel <laughs> when I'm playing this game. I'm like, I want everyone to be happy and like me. Why can't you all like me? And uh, <laughs> you can't do that, though. You can't. I mean. No, it's this balancing act where you kind of have to. You're you're always going to make people angry, and you're always going to commit dishonorable acts because you know you if you declare war, it's going it's rare that you find the right excuse to declare war so that no one thinks you're being dishonorable about it. Sometimes it'll happen, like you might have a claim, or you discover, or you a secret is revealed that that reveals that someone has done something very nasty themselves, and so it gives you an excuse to attack them. But by and large. You have to balance that with tr- with kind of being uh, being ruthless at the right time and taking the right risks. Yeah, because because timing is an issue, isn't it? In this game as well, it's not just about making the right moves, but when to make the right moves as well. Um, because you know there might be a mix of these people like you and these people don't, but these people like you more, so. You do a certain, the, you know. it, it, it all rests on this um, honor system that the game has, which is one of the systems that uh, I'm particularly proud of. It's this kind of, it's this formalization of a process where when you do something that everyone thinks is unjust, you cre- you you don't just make everyone angry because you've been dishonorable. But you also create a grievance, which is like a permanent record in the game. And if someone if someone does something unjust against you, you've got a grievance against them, and vice versa. But then the 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 way it works is that if I if someone has a grievance against you, then they can do things which are normally unjust against you. But that won't. But the court of public opinion will go. Well, that's fair enough. So like to give you an example, let's say <laughs> if you were to declare war on someone, that would be unjust and everyone would think you're the bad guy. But if you, if you for example, discover that your uh, son was murdered by the Duke of a nearby faction 
and you reveal that information publicly, he looks like a bad guy, and you've got now a grievance against him. And if you declare war, everyone goes, well, that's fair enough. You have Cassus Belli. Exactly. But the Cassus Belli is not just based on claims. It's based on this whole, anything that can happen in the political and personal realm. So, you know, he could, he could be having an affair with your wife. And if you discover that, that's a Cassus Belli. See, it's, um, it's much richer. And the other dimension to it is that y- you, you get this whole escalation process where um, you're like the master of a feudal kingdom. So your subjects come to you with uh, petitions to give them justice when they've been wronged, but they can't do anything about it. So in the example I said, where if the Duke of a nearby faction um, has had an affair with your wife and you discover that, well, you can, you've got an excuse to attack him. But if the Duke had an affair with the wife of one of the rulers, one of the barons in your kingdom, the baron can't really attack him. He has no way of, 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 of seeking vengeance. So instead he comes to you and charges you to deal with that injustice. Now you've got a Cassus Belli against the Duke. You've also it, got a kind of a pressure, a political pressure to deal something with it. Which, so there's like the, the other element of conflict where if the Duke was your friend and you didn't actually want to attack him, now you're stuck on the horns of a dilemma where if you don't do something against him to punish him, you're going to look like you don't care about justice, like you are covering for his sins. So you can see how this kind of honor system is at the heart of a lot of the political intrigue of the game. Yeah, and, and it, well, and, oh, I, I would I would word that as it's not just political, it's personal. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, In fact, that's the um, that's kind of why the feudal uh, culture was key to the game because the kind of the personal and the political are basically the same thing in that kind of feudal setting. So, so, so is that like a system that permeates throughout the entire core of the game? It sounds like it sounds like it is, and it sounds like it's one of the many things the game keeps track of. Um, because I'm just as the more I played this, the more I'm like, how does? Because there's so many moving parts, like to to this game. How how do you manage to keep track of all these different personalities and how? Not only do they feel about you, but how they feel about each other and all their personal histories and and, and all that. I mean, there's a, just a massive amount of of data happening here. It, it is one of the technical challenges of the game, and especially because very early on, I I wanted to go into the direction where the game, like when you're when you're building a game like this, one of the challenges you have is not every character in the game can have a life as rich as the player, simply because um, there are performance constraints. There's only so much you can simulate at any one, at any one time. And uh, I've actually done a lot to, to make uh, characters have, um, to, so that characters are, are, are having their own lives, even when, even when you're not even seeing them, because they're outside of your uh, kind of field of vision, even when they're like in a faction that hasn't been revealed yet. 
but there's obviously a balance you have to keep with that and and uh, there are you know there's only so much that you can do without bogging down the the game completely yeah um but but even even with those limitations these characters they they feel full they feel like as realistic as a computer game ai can get you know they 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 like they'll get drunk they'll be happy they'll they'll get pregnant they'll like all this different stuff and it's great it like there's so much texture going on here that is just that you don't see in a lot uh in a lot of other space strategy games because one they're not character driven but two they're so macro that you know all this kind of political yeah. stuff is abstracted um absolutely and and uh, kind of what i'm trying to do with star dynasties is i'm trying to 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 make the player interested in the in this drama and the life stories of the characters around them like the game has uh, several hundred uh, a couple of thousand characters uh, at any one time but and you 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 won't know of them all and even if you did there's obviously no way you could keep track of them you at most you're going to to keep track of the key characters in your in your empire and 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 close to it and maybe your personal family and a lot of the game is is about a lot of the technical challenges in the game have been about how to not overwhelm you with that information but at the same time make it as real as possible because one of the challenges when you start the game is that you're going to have members of your family you're already going to have a, a small empire with people around you and there's so many characters to learn about and so many things that can happen and you can't just give the player everything because that would that would just overwhelm them and to be honest a lot of it isn't that interesting if you know of a random character from you know far away from your empire has a child or grows up comes of age gets ill you don't care about any of that stuff there are you know there's thousands of these little events going on in the background that, that you don't care what you care about is the real salient uh dramatic events that happen to your nearest and dearest or to the people that are your rivals and allies in the political dimension and one of the biggest challenges that i've had with the game and i and it's something that that i'm still kind of fighting with and, and, and improving as we go forward is how does the game know which slice of information to actually give you? How does it know that when a character gets sick, you care about it if it was your son or the head of or or your or your general that you're about to send on a on a on a on a major uh, you know adventure. But obviously if it's none if it's someone unimportant you you honestly don't care. How, how does it know that and how does it figure that out? And it's made even a more complex challenge by the fact that that is different um, on a player-by-player basis. Some players care more about the, say, the military strategic side of the game, and maybe they care less about the role-playing elements. And some people care more about the role-playing elements and more about the family side of the game. So that's, that's one of the big um, you know, things that, 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 that uh, the game has to struggle with. So how do how do you do that? Is there like some kind of like this is how much I care about a person value or something like that? Like how do you determine how much a player should care about a specific individual in the game? 
That's definitely part of it. So internally, the game kind of tries to make an assessment of how important each character is to you. And you can even you can even um, tweak that yourself. So in the interface, there's a little um, toggle button in for every character. So you can go on a character and say, I care about this, this character more than the game thinks I do. So show me more what happens to this character or show me less. Why are you, why are you doing, why are you showing me this stuff? And that's then mixed with each event and update that can happen in the game. It's got its own kind of a little importance uh, calculation that kind of merges with the data about the characters that it picks up. And then all that is evaluated to see if the update is above a threshold or below a threshold. And you can even modify that threshold. Um, so if, you, if you're playing the game and you know I'm getting too much de- detail, uh, I don't want this much, you can turn that down. And uh, yeah, and, uh, and that's obviously invaluable, especially uh, as, we're, as we continue to get the balance right through, through, through early access. Um, so yeah, there's, there's the, it's a little bit like a Facebook algorithm. How does Facebook know what, what events you, what what posts you're going to care about? Um, well, I think maybe not as complex as that. <laughs> I think you're doing a better job than Facebook because Facebook is doing a terrible <laughs> job in that regard. Uh, honestly, <laughs> so I think you're doing a maybe by keeping it simpler, you're doing a better job than Facebook. I don't know. <laughs> I guess Facebook has. Uh, I guess Facebook doesn't understand what the posts contain, <laughs> but at least the game know, does. I don't know. Yeah, maybe that's it. I don't know, but it's like I will. I, there are certain people I'll miss like a bevy of posts from them because Facebook didn't think I cared about. Like, come on, Facebook, <laughs> stop it! Stop getting in my way. Uh, I guess that. You, I guess that's you wait th- how you you assign weight to how much you care about it about someone. So it's a. Uh, it's very much a, I love you exactly this much, but not as much as this person. <laughs> yes, exactly. The game kind of, uh, so it assigns everyone an importance value. And that importance value kind of has a, a certain standard pattern, like your spouse and your heir. They're always, at the, you know, especially if they're in your, in your immediate influence, like immediately in your house or in your empire, it assigns them the highest uh, importance value. And then people like your direct vassals have an importance value. And then as people get further away from your empire or have less important roles, their importance goes down. Um, but obviously it's not, it's not perfect. It's not, it's not like, uh, so sometimes you might, uh, something might happen to a character and, and, and you, you just kind of build this narrative in your head and you're like interested what there's, what, what's happening to them. Or maybe you, you've got this Duke that you've been fighting with for a few years and you really hate their guts. And then when they, when you manage, when they fall from power, the game goes, well, they're not important anymore, but you want to keep seeing what happens to them just because you've got it out for them now for no other reason than that. So you can adjust the importance level if you want. Another thing I really love uh, is you can set, uh, you can like kind of focus on one character. You can put them on the side there and then you can see how other characters feel about this one character. It's absolutely central to the game because so much of it is driven by those opinions. Yeah, no. I, I really appreciate that because it's like, because sometimes you'd be like, I'm not sure how I like this guy. You know, th- this guy who is stooping my wife. How, how do other people feel about this guy? And then you find a lot of people like him, like, oh, God, okay. I guess I can't move against him yet because he's liked by so many people. God darn it. <laughs> Fine. 
Yeah, exactly. And it's uh, it, and the, the game gives you some tools to, to to deal with that. Like you can obviously do your own uh, skull duggery against. You can try to defame people, or you can try to assassinate them. And, oh, and I, things I, like that. I sent him off to this far flung world off to the other side of the map that lot that like fell out with its empire. And like, no, it was not any empire at all. So I'm like, you go over there and try to make a claim on that <laughs> system way over there. <laughs> Just get out of the house. <laughs> the equivalent of sending them to Antarctica. Basically. Basically. That's exactly what I did. I was like, <laughs> I love I have this option. Just get them away. <laughs> and uh, the... Uh, the game the game will actually take that into account. The... the um, now, see, this is the kind of stuff that is really hard to tell the player because um, where would you even tell the player this this information? But if you do send them away, the system that determines whether they're still in love is likelier to say they're going to fall out of love. And um, the game's full of these little things that's really hard to communicate to the player. So I've always kind of adopted a, an approach of hopefully the player will th- will act in ways that are intuitively correct and the game will reflect their expectations of how reality would behave. That's got to be tough, though, right? There's only so far you can take it in practice because obviously reality is so complex. Every situation, there's a million and one ways it could vary. But, well, you know, you, you, you go as far as you can. And, and I gotta say, your game does take a lot into account, like more than a lot of other games like this, uh, which makes it so fun and fluid. I mean, because you get tired of just moving spaceships around. You know what I mean? You get tired of, oh, I'm just gonna colonize that planet, and that planet's gonna be mined forever, and I don't have to worry about it, except for except that they have enough food, you know? Uh, or it's interesting... Yeah, it's interesting that that you're saying that because when I originally had the idea for Star Dynasties, I was big into 4X. And all I was thinking at the time was, wouldn't it be cool if 4X also had a character component? But by the time I actually got around to starting the project, I had played so many 4Xs that I was also thinking, you know what? I'm a little bit bored of moving units around the map i just want to get the political side i just want to focus on the the drama and uh yeah yeah i love and i'm I'm glad not only your game but we're getting more games that are letting you do that um because i'm in any game not just 4x games but i don't know about you but i'm just getting tired of moving units around a map i'm i'm really getting tired of it i i i want to i want to deal with the bigger like character driven stuff like this. And we're getting more and more games that are letting you do that, which is nice, like yours and uh Real Politics and Stellar Monarch and a few others. Um where we have to deal with less about moving things around a map and more about dealing with other characters and dealing with individuals, which I think is always more interesting than just moving ships around a map. I think there's kind of space for all games. Like, yeah, uh, uh, you know what I mean? I do love a good uh, a good uh, strategy game that just focuses on the conquest as well. But, you know, sometimes you're in, you're in one mood and sometimes you're in another. Yeah, I think I'm in a phase right now where it's just like, I don't want to move. Like, I can't play a Paradox game right now. Like, I people keep telling me how good, like, Hearts of Iron 4 is. And I'm like, I look at it, and I'm like, no. <laughs> 
Uh, no, I can't do it. I just, not right now. I just can't do that right now. <laughs> I'm at a point where I have a lot less patience. So, like, I want, like, give me a first-person shooter over a tactical game. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know? Let me go I have and- been stuck. I have been stuck in this dilemma for a while where I do love strategy games and games that are more involved that way. But because I have so little time, yeah. you kind of get a great strategy game and you're like, I would love to play this, but how am I going to find the time to really learn it inside out? Oh my God, I know. I know. Like, I'll, I'll get these strategy games and, and I'll play them for on a stream or something for a little bit. I'm like, this is great. I am never going to have time to play this ever again. <laughs> and it's not even that the game is bad no, because no. it's not it, it's it's a it's a good game you just know you will because of the way that you stream stuff and you have to keep on bouncing between all these other games there's just never going to be enough time to bounce back around to it no i i i have a very hard time focusing on one game for any particular period of time very hard time so So, so yeah, if a game doesn't grab me within an hour or two, I'm like, okay. If, we're, if you look at my Steam library, you'll see that 95% of the games I've played have under five hours of playtime. Which is a little sad. <laughs> what it's, it's, also, it's also made me appreciate more games, I guess, that are also more um, narrative-driven. Because yeah. you yeah. can... E- they have they do have less time commitment sometimes and and sometimes you just don't have the time to 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 do anything else and and the nice thing about your game is it's not like it's not a set story but you could say it's narrative driven but you're making the narrative as you go it's uh, absolutely meant to build a story in your mind yeah. with the characters and the cast you have. So, you know, the, 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 the experience I want to give to the player is that they think this is my life, my story. These are all the events that happened to me and to the people that I cared about and to, to the villains and, 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 and the heroes in this piece. But, and you build that through, through you know, the events that kind of link, the way they link together and the, the, the way the game um, what happens in the game that's going to build your own uh, story. Oh, wow. You have a big compliment here in the chat. Uh, Thorsten says, even when he would usually rage quit because he's down to only two systems, he keeps playing in your game. He wants to dig himself out of that hole. That is right there. That is really nice to hear. That is a huge compliment because I'm the same way. Like, if I get to a certain point, I'm like, no, I'm going to lose. I'm done. I'll I'll just start over. Um. While playtesting the game, I have found I have found that sometimes it's a lot of fun when you're in the in those in those situations. Like one of the things that's um, well, in fact, actually, this is one of the things I've managed to deal with with uh, more recently. But in an earlier iteration of the game, you very you never started out as a vassal of a larger empire. And then I discovered through playing the game that actually it was a lot of fun when you were forced sometimes to become a vassal because it changed your, 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 um, well, it changed what mattered. Now it gave you the the problem of how am I going to become independent and how I'm going to rebel. So sometimes you do get, you do, you, you do get the most fun when things go against you. In fact, actually, I would go, I would go so far as to say that if you can't take, setbacks 
you might find Stored Dynasty is a hard game to play because there's always that to and fro. Sometimes things will go against you um, because, you know, it's trying to capture that dynamic of, um, I guess, a more realistic uh, um, uh, narrative. And it would be unrealistic if you were winning all the time. At that point, why are you even playing? Because yeah. if you don't have those setbacks, then what's the point? Yeah, yeah, if it was just one march to victory, that would be pretty boring. Uh, but I think I think what people are saying is that a lot of times people don't feel the challenge is worth it. Like you'll get to a point and you'll be like, "No, nah, I'm done. I'm gonna start over because I don't. I feel I've got. I feel I've gotten to a point where the time is not worth the effort. It's it's not worth putting in the time to try and dig myself out of this. But it sounds like. With this game, the challenge actually adds to the fun, um, which is rare. You know, there there aren't a lot of games where it's like, okay, I'm losing. How do I dig myself out of this? You know? It's well, also more emergent, Brian. Yeah, exactly. I would say that's more emergent gameplay in, in terms of, well, yeah, if you can't if you can't find a way to dig yourself out, if if that is a lose state, then you're going to do everything you can to avoid that in future games, or you're just not going to play. If there is a way to get out of it and you can figure that out, that's emergent. Yeah. Yeah. I see what you're saying. I think there's another dynamic as well in start dynasties, which is if you look at many uh, games, the you're, you're, you're playing within an environment where if you fall too far behind, there is no way to come back. So in your typical 4X, if you, for, if you fall behind uh, drastically, you just can't come back because the technology uh, delta becomes too large and uh, you know, the, the rolling ball of, of strength that, that, that gets accumulated by, by your opponents is just too hard to, to overcome. Stardust is, is coming at this from a different different angle. So the, the world is trying to be a little bit more realistic. So the other dukes that you're playing with, they're not like direct competitors like, like it is in, in Civ, where you're clearly set up to be playing against seven other players or what have you. Instead, they're just characters in a game. And uh, some of them might not even be trying to outright conquer the universe because they're more interested in, you know, what, what, whatever pleasures they're, they're getting. So even if you fall behind, there's usually, not always, I mean, if you really become a villain and everyone hates you, then, then everyone, everyone will relish wiping you off the map. But if you, if you just fall behind or if you have a setback and like, yeah, like Torsten has said, yeah, went went back down to to, to perhaps two systems, but that but that allows him to, to but that allowed him to hang on, and then there will be opportunities to 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 come back into the game. You you know, a nearby Baron might become disenchanted with their own with their own Duke, and and you you track them to 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 your empire. So it's it, there's the opportunity to to rise, fall, but then rise again. And I guess that's one thing your game is really great at is providing those opportunities. Um, because in, in a more traditional kind of 4X, like the opportunities are really, really limited. You're, you're fighting or colonizing or whatever, or you're, you're, you're making like a, a, a very generic trade treaty. 
But here it's like, oh, wait, maybe these, these guys are also independent over here. Maybe if we merge together, we can become a little more powerful. And then you kind of build the blocks back up, you know? So I think it's a, go ahead. Sorry. No, it's a fundamental problem of, of like the Forex formula that you're kind of building a, you know, it's like an engine building game that they're called. And, and because because of the way they work, it, in fact, Forex games are very hard to balance in a way that you can come back unless if, if you're losing. It's one of the biggest problems that, that, that they've had. You start to win and then you tend to win. Um, and kind of with Star Dynasties, that's something I, I, I've been consciously trying to, to, to remember. With, with Star Dynasties, you your your stated goal is to become the most um, kind of powerful, the most uh, venerated, I suppose, uh, political house in the galaxy. But the game isn't trying to to kind of just get you to paint the map because the experience of the game is the stories that come out as you're trying to achieve that. So you know, the betrayals, the, the rise and fall. So if it, was, if, if it had the same mechanics that kind of created that feedback loop that you get in 4X where you build something and that gives you more resources to build the next something and then that gives you, you know, a, a nonlinear increase in your power, then it, you, would, you would lose the opportunity to create those, those uh, more fluid stories. No, that makes sense. Uh, I wanted to ask, I've never finished a game. I, I don't finish games very often, but like when you finish a game, does it like show you, does, is there like a, um, an end game screen that like tells your story? Like <laughs> there or, is a screen that gives you some stats about the various Dukes you've played through in your lineage. There's um, it's, there has been a suggestion multiple times to have the game um, kind of cherry pick the events that have happened throughout the game and present them as a kind of history. Yeah, that's what, and, I, was, yeah, that's what I was going yeah. for. Yeah, and, and there's a there's a technical challenge to that that I've I haven't yet quite managed to overcome, and it ties back to what we were saying earlier, which is how does the game know which are the important events that happen to you? And right now, the whole kind of algorithm and importance system is very focused about solving the immediate problem of whether it should show you a piece of information as it happens. And it's unfortunately not appropriate as it is to then take a look at a hundred years of history and pick out the really important stuff from that hundred years. So I'd love to do it one day, but that would be its own, its own challenge. Yeah, because it would be fun to go back and like kind of read those stories. Absolutely. Because that's what this game is doing. It's making these stories based on your character and all these other characters. And it would just be really fun to uh, go back and read that as like kind of a, like a log or a story or something. That would be really fun. <laughs> but I told you. History I, of my. Yeah, yeah but, the chronicle of key events in yeah. this family's history. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I totally get how that would be a challenge. Because how do you, what do you pick and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. 
I totally get that. And and you may not even know that something is a key event until much later because, well, events can tend to steamroll. That one seemingly inconsequential thing leads to this steamrolling effect down the line that you would not have predicted to be a key event. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I think you've brought in a dimension that is well beyond our, our current ability to, to, <laughs> to work out. Oh, man. Um, so how, f- like, so um, my brain is f- getting into mush here. So uh, how long do you anticipate the early access period uh, lasting? Do you have any, like, idea about, you know, what kind of any kind of roadmap in your head or anything like that? We're planning to uh, finish um, finish the EA period in uh, quarter three of this year. So oh, we're okay. not we're not any more uh, specific than that. We've got um, three major updates that we're planning to the game, and that includes the the, the full release. We've got a, a particular update planned for that. So what we're planning to do is in May to bring out a a standalone tool, a story events editor that will allow oh. players to add their own story events to the game. Um, oh. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm, a bit, I'm I'm pretty excited about that to see what uh, people oh, will wow. come up with to add to the game. And wait, are these just for your stories, or will the game will the, will the game in general be able to pull from these user created stories? Well, there'll be there'll be mods that you can uh, that you can get and add to your game. Oh, okay, as you wish. Okay, kind of like Steam Workshop. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We're we're looking at Steam Workshop integration at the moment, and we'll see. Um, ideally, I would like to do it that way. Oh, that that's that's amazing. That that's amazing because you never know what people are going to come up with, and there are probably exactly. some probably some history buffs up there going to be like, I'm going to model everything that happened in the Prussian Empire. <laughs> and put all these events in there that happened in the Prussian Empire. I mean, uh, honestly, I'm I'm really looking forward to that to see what people that will come up with. Because amazing, it, yeah. I mean, as a, as a game designer, part part of the reason, well, part of the fun for me is to 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 get surprised by by my own game, and and I think um, one good way to do it is to see what players will come up with when when they're given access to that tool. <laughs> I'm reading last Shogun's uh, yeah, comment. Yeah, yeah. There was there was a, there was a space mod for CK2. Um, that- I I tried it and it wasn't bad, but it it felt like it fell out of development. Like the it just stopped being developed, which is game. And I think the other things that we've got in mind, so that was, so the editor is the first uh, thing we've got on our, on our plan. That sounds amazing. That editor sounds amazing. That's a wonderful idea. Excellent. Um, The, uh, the, um, the second thing we've got in mind is the idea is what we're calling expedition events. So these expedition events, it's, they're about bringing the sci-fi element of the game to life. Uh, in a stronger way than it is now. And this civilization in Star Dynasties, it exists within the ruins of, uh, of, a, of a previous one, of, of, a, of a near future, early colonization era in human history before there was a major collapse. 
So the civilization in Sora Dynasties, it exists within these, this kind of the shell, and it doesn't really understand the technology that it uses. I mean, it understands that that technology is what uh, allows it to survive, and that is a source of power. And as a ruler, you are motivated to, to acquire as much of this mysterious, unknown, uh, essentially black box technology that's, that's the, still around from before the collapse. And what this update will be is it will add these stories to the game where you might dis- you know, discover legacy technology and they'll, and they'll interact with the story that's going on in, in your own world in interesting ways. Like uh, the, 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 uh, a key example might be that you discover a, um, a still half-functioning uh, cloning chamber. And you might be tempted to try it out on some characters in your house. And, uh, and now you've got, uh, you know, you've got two characters, which, which uh, you, know, you, you might clone your wife and see what stories that, that, that ends up uh, uh, generating in the game. So, <laughs> it, so that's the, the, the second major update, these, these sci-fi uh, stories um, uh, around the, the, the technological remnants of, of the previous uh, civilization. God, now you, just and, want, now you just want me to have someone make a sci-fi version of Multiplicity. You know, the movie, <laughs> you know, the Michael Keaton movie? I don't know if you've seen it, but... Um, I, I haven't seen it, but how, how do you see it... Uh, What's the parallel? Oh, it's basically uh, Michael Keaton gets cloned multiple times because he's so busy and he finds a way to clone himself. And he gets cloned like three <laughs> or four times. And each clone is very different. <laughs> so it's basically like four Michael Keatons. And uh, it's an amazing movie. Just a side note. So when you talked about cloning your wife, the immediate thing I thought was like that, that multiplicity was the very <laughs> first thing I thought of. So... I'm gonna have to watch Man. the movie before I make the example it's again. It's a great <laughs> with, movie with, with very different personalities. Very to different, them. yeah, very different. And and it's also funny because like they started making copies of copies, and so that kind of degrades the copies. And so, it's it's just, so one of the Michael Keatons is not quite all there, and it's um, okay. It's, it's so freaking amazing. <laughs> It is. Oh my God. Yeah. So that that just sounds pretty funny. (laughs) Oh, it is. It really holds up. It really holds up. Yeah. I I showed it to my wife for the first time a few years ago and and she really enjoyed it. Um, Because I'm a huge Michael Keaton fan. So like, oh yeah, I'll find any excuse to drag him up. Um, And so you were saying, I'm sorry, that was a little tangent. Um, So you had your expeditions, you were saying. Oh yeah, um, yeah. I, I think I pretty much uh, summed them up. And then the um, the last major update, which will coincide with full release, is we're planning to add a system of uh, colony improvements to the game. So right now you can you can increase the level of investment in your colonies, and that has a direct bearing on your economic uh, income and the military that you're that you can call on but we want to make that a little bit more detailed so you'll so uh, uh, remember in the setting you're not actually building new things because 
you're inhabiting these um, still surviving colonies from before the collapse. But you do have the capacity to repair installations that have kind of fallen derelict or out of use. And we kind of want to make that a bit more tangible so that you will, you will have um, separate, co- separate installations within, within a colony that you can kind of bring back online and they'll give you certain bonuses or certain, um, they'll have certain effects on your empire. And, there's also, and there will also be a, a political dimension because you, you, will, you might have to assign, assign a particular uh, noble to take care of a particular installation, which then might create its own drama. Damn. <laughs> and would that also tie into the the aforementioned sci-fi element of expeditions that based on what you have found in those, you might have more options for what you can bring back online? I think the the easy answer to that is yes, because the way I see expeditions is that it will interact with with just about every other system in the game. So like, um, and I'm absolutely off the cuff here, but for example, one of the expeditions events could be that you discover some secret installation that you hadn't known of before. So that will then give you a, a um, and you know, it will interact with the way you're de- you might then improve that colony, or it might give you some particularly uh, special and unique uh, bonus for that colony. All right, that's fair enough. That sounds awesome. Well, it's about time to wrap up. Um, so, folks, the game we're talking about today is called Star Dynasties. It's currently in early access, even though it is very well fleshed out and stable for an early access title. Uh, it does. It did not feel when I played it like an early access title at all. And uh, people in the chat can confirm that. Um, but right now, it is in early access. It's going to come out of early access. Uh, next quarter, I think we're in quarter two right now, right? Yeah. So I, I can never keep yeah. track of when the quarters are. <laughs> I got to, I got to, I got to count. I got to count in my brain, like January, February, March. Okay. April, okay. April is quarter. Okay. We're still in March, 2020 here. You know that, <laughs> no, right? no, we're not. Stop it. Damn it. No. God damn it. No, we have to, we have to put that behind us. Um, so yeah, we're hopefully the game will be out of early access later this year. We'll probably have to have you back once it's out of early access. Uh, I would to, love to be back and yeah, have another chat with you. Because we we kind of like to do kind of not a post mortem, but we like to hear of we love to hear the road to one You know, we love to talk about yeah. that. We and 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 so it's not technically a post mortem, but we do love to hear about how early access went and things like that because. Uh, I think it's good not just for us, but for other developers to hear how early access went. So uh, for people, so no, absolutely, and I'll be more than happy to come yeah. and share what went right and what went wrong. I'm sure. Oh, we will love to talk about that. So, folks, uh, later today, uh, if I have any voice left and if I have any energy left, we I will be streaming uh, this afternoon, Nova Mundi, which is some kind of uh, strategy game thing, which looks kind of fun. And then next week on the show, we're going to be back to our afternoon time slot to welcome back Chris Park, the designer and developer of AI War 2. Uh, not only did um, not only did uh, AI War 2 just get like uh, dozens and dozens of huge updates, it's about to get multiplayer and it's about to get a new uh, DLC pack. So lots of stuff going on with AI War 2. Um, 
But Glenn, I want to thank you so much for coming back on and talking to us about Star Dynasties. Uh, Guys, it's a great game. Even though it's an early access, don't let that deter you. It is great. It is stable. It is fun. It is is really unique because even though there are some other character-driven strategy games, there are some things to this one that really stand out. And... So please do check it out at the very at the very least wishlist it because developers do see how many people wishlist their games and it's like yeah it is it is a nice thing to see more people wishlisting a game uh, I can tell you that from personal experience with Starfleet too uh, so uh, <laughs> so thank you so Absolutely. much thank you so much thank uh, you. Glenn for hanging out with us folks thank you so much for a very active chat this morning it's been great and we'll see you back here if my voice holds out later today for some Nova Monday. Have a great one, y'all. Bye-bye.